If you'll take your Bibles, please, and turn to John chapter 5. Please pray for me. I'm not up to this passage. This, I think, is one probably one of the deepest passages in the, in the entire Bible. In it, Jesus is going to defend himself. And you see that normally when you defend yourself, it's to get, your, to get out of trouble. When my girls defend themselves, it's because they think that trouble is a coming, and they're trying to avoid that and get out of trouble. And so they explain, maybe if I understood properly, then, I, then it, wouldn't be, it would be different for them. But we're going to see that Jesus defends himself, and if he would have just left it alone, it wouldn't have been a problem. But he, he says some things that will absolutely uh, make him hated and despised, but also allow us to know who our Savior is. So it's a, it's a powerful, powerful uh, statement. So let's read this. This is from uh, John 5, and we'll begin reading at verse 16. And go through verse 24. This is God's word. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. But Jesus answered them, my father works hitherto and I work. Therefore, the Jews sought to, to more to kill him because not only had he broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father making himself equal with God. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, those also doeth the Son likewise. For the Father loveth the Son and shows him all things that he, that he himself doeth. And he will show him greater works than these, that ye may marvel. For as the Father raises up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. For the Father judges no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which sent him, Verily, verily, I say to you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that is sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. May God add his blessing to the public reading of his word. We saw last week that Jesus was at the festival in Jerusalem, and as such, he's going to be around the religious leaders um, the big shots, the big uh, decision makers are the ones that are actually going to be talking to Jesus today. But Jesus is their God and is going to talk back to them in a most strong way and to where there is no, um, no doubt in anyone's mind what he's actually saying. It all started last week when he heals on the Sabbath day. And we looked at the Sabbath day, that the Sabbath day was an ordinance by God that no man was to work. There wasn't to be any physical labor. You weren't to do your job on uh, the Sabbath. You can't simply make it another one of the days to simply have an unending pile of labor from the time, from now until the time you die. That God said you are to, to stop your labor 
in observance that I stopped my labor in creation. And so it was a law of Moses and boundable by, uh, by death if you were to break it. Now, the, the religious leaders over the centuries had tried very hard to have people not break God's laws. So in doing that, they would actually build fences around them. So, so many fences that you couldn't ever get to the real law to break it because there were too many guards up. And so the, the rabbis had come up with 39 different things that you could not do that was considered work. And one of them was that they were to, you were not to carry something from one side to another. Now, God didn't write that. That wasn't God's idea. This was men's idea. But the uh, religious police enforced it the same as if it would have been God's idea. I think it was interesting. Um, Erin caught something last week in the sermon that she shared with me that I thought was pretty cool. She noticed uh, an irony that the man was a beggar. This is how he lived. He lived unable to walk beside a, a pool on a dirty mat, and that was it. And if he ate, it was because somebody gave him something. And so his job was to beg. And he was not breaking the Sabbath by carrying his mat the way Jesus had told him to. But the religious police, their job was to enforce the laws of Moses, and they were breaking the Sabbath by doing their job on the Sabbath. And I just thought, ooh, you should, you should like, write my notes. That was pretty good because it never occurred to me at all. Jesus here is not going to claim to not be breaking the Sabbath. Jesus is going to make no accusations or no, he's not going to claim at all that he's not breaking the Sabbath. What he's going to claim is that he has every right to break the Sabbath because he's the Lord of the Sabbath. And so what Jesus is, is claiming to the, to the religious leaders is pretty serious. So if a person is, is defending himself to get out of trouble and Jesus is defending himself, he's going to get into trouble because he, they had no idea just how radical Jesus was. See, Jesus has to be known by the people who will be saved by him. If you are saved, you have to know who Jesus is. You have to know who's saving you. It can't be simply passive. It can't be just floating around one day and you happen to be saved and who did it? I don't know. Jesus did it maybe, something like that. You know who Jesus is because your salvation is all of grace in the power of Jesus Christ. But I must put my faith in him in order for that to be mine. So just because Jesus died on the cross does not mean that I will not uh, endure torment forever does not mean that. That it must be that I put my faith, all of my confidence, all my eggs, in the basket that Jesus is God himself. And that when Jesus lived, he lived acceptably for me. I must know that. And so Jesus is not simply trying to stay out of trouble from some pipsqueaks, middle management bureaucrats. He, he's not scared of anybody. And they, he knows that he's going to go to the cross. He already knows. And because of that, he's free. He's absolutely free. He never hurried anywhere he went. He never was like, oh, I'm late. I've got to go somewhere. And he never, he never defended himself in terms of, oh, wait, you don't understand. If you just understood me better. No. He, he let his words fall. And whatever people understood or didn't understand, that's the way he left them. 
when, when I say he defended himself, he's defending himself like a courtroom, like an argument of defense. And this is one of the most seriously structured formal arguments in the Bible. This is really unlike anything else in anywhere in the scriptures. And Jesus is, is telling us the relationship between the Son and the Father. Something so big and some, so massive that to understand it would really take the rest of our eternity. But he is making claims way bigger than simply working on the Sabbath day. The working on the Sabbath day would have gotten him into trouble. But he needs people to know who he is. Because if I'm going to trust him, I need to know that he is worthy to be my savior, that he's worthy for me to put my trust in. If all of my confidence before God is that Jesus Christ lived for me and died for me, then I need to know who he is. And Jesus is telling me who he is in front of these guys who ultimately will take him to the cross. Uh, Our savior is a brave, brave man, brave. Now, the idea that the Jews had was that you could not die for someone else. Jesus knows that he is going to die for his people, that he's going to live for his people, be totally accepted for his people, then die in their place, taking their punishment on himself. That's what he says. But the, the Old Testament is full of passages that Jesus himself wrote, you have to remember. Jesus wrote these verses, but Jesus is realizing that it's bigger. The reality is bigger than what these people understood. So let me just show you three. I could have shown you 15. I'm going to show you three. This is from Deuteronomy 24. This is in the law of Moses. The fathers shall not be put to death for the children. Neither shall the children be put to death for the fathers. Every man shall be put to death for his own sins. You cannot, you can't pay for someone else's sins. You can't pay someone off. Is someone... Does someone in, um, have tuberculosis and you're just about to die? And, and if, you could, if you could replace me and die in my place, I'll give you a million dollars that you could leave to your kids. There's a lot of people that would think that through. They're like, okay, well, I'm going to die in three months anyway. Okay, nice quick bullet and a million dollars. They consider that, that you would be dying in someone else's place. But the law says you do not do it. Every person is judged individually. This is from Ezekiel, chapter 18. Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. And the soul that that sinneth, it shall die. The idea, again, that every bucket sits on its own bottom, my grandpa used to say. Okay, you're responsible for you, and your, your behavior is you're responsible for it. And your sins before God are what you will be judged. You're not going to be judged because your father was X, Y, or Z. You're going to be judged based upon you. What did you do? This is Psalm 49. I think a little a bit uh, more obvious what it's saying. They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their soul is precious, and it ceases forever, that he should still live forever and not see corruption. It does not matter. You could be the richest as Midas. You could be as rich as Solomon. And you can't trade your things for your soul. 
What does, it, what does it profit a man that he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? You can't say, well, I will trade, but God, I will do something for you. I will give you something in exchange for my soul. He, he's not, he does need a ransom. But Jesus said, I'm the one who give my life as a ransom for many. It's only the life of Jesus that God will accept as a ransom. So when all of these passages, you have sinners cannot die before sinners. Sinners can't die in exchange of other sinners. You can't have vicarious salvation. But God from all eternity knew that that's exactly what he was going to do. See, there is something greatly comforting. Let's imagine that you're a very clean person and I'm a very dirty person. I could look at you and be jealous of you because you're better, you're better in your behavior, you're cleaner in your nature than I am. And before God, you're closer to God than I am. I could look at that and say, well, you're closer to salvation than I am because you're good and I'm really bad. Or I could look the other way and say, I used to be good, but now I'm bad because God has rejected me. Right? In, in some ways, when, you're, when, you are, when you are looking at the gospel, any point that you've sinned against the law of God, even once, you're guilty of all of it. And because all of us are equal in that point, it does not matter that you're better than me or that I'm better than you. All of us before God are guilty. That means if all of my hope and confidence is in Jesus Christ's life, we are now equal. There is equal ground under the foot of the cross, completely equal. You cannot look at another person and say they're better than me. Billy Graham is no better Christian than I am. Okay? I don't know all the stuff Billy Graham did. No, no, he never told me. And that never got made it into the papers in the 1950s because people protected each other back then. Like you can imagine what he'd do on Facebook. But no, Billy Graham is no better than me. There's no, Isaiah is no better of a Christian than I am. If, my, if I have to save myself through my behavior, then yeah, it's a competition. Who's better? Well, let's see. Let's rank everybody one to a million. But if all of my salvation is Jesus Christ's life and Jesus Christ's death, then we're perfectly brothers, perfectly brothers and sisters, equal in all regards. And I promise you this, if you look upon me and you see me in a sin, you do not despise me because you're just as vulnerable as I am. It says in, Paul says in Galatians 6, if you find a brother that is taken in a fault or in a sin, he's fallen again. The mature among you go to him very, very carefully, lovingly, because you be careful, you'll fall exactly the same way he did. You'll fall into that same way. If my salvation is 100% of God, then when I see sin in my life, I, I'm not damned. My salvation was Jesus Christ. And when I see that I'm doing right, I don't gloat because God did everything in my life. God has given me grace and allowed me to come close to him. So there's no, there's no hierarchy. There's no hierarchy of Christians. Well, Jesus knows that he is going to be my savior and that he needs to tell me that he's going to be my savior. I need to know who he is. So when, we, when I mentioned before that the book of John is all about the deity of Christ, that, G, that Jesus Christ is God Almighty. Well, John has done a good job. John, first of all, gave you his, his first chapter, which was his testimony of what, who Jesus was. Okay? 
the word and the light and the life. He, he, he showed you who Jesus is in his perception. Then we looked at the last of the Old Testament prophets, John the Baptist, who said that's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Then we started meeting people. We started meeting people, and then Jesus talked to people, and we heard Jesus' words. We heard what they said. We heard what was said to them. We saw the, the change in their life that had occurred as meeting Jesus. Also, we saw miracles. We began to see miracles. We've seen three so far where Jesus is doing things in different ways that only God could do. But that's not enough. You cannot. John, in his book, cannot simply show you a lot of anecdotal evidence that Jesus is God and then make you make up your own decision. Jesus himself is going to say, I'm God. And then he's going to be hauled off and crucified, brutalized and crucified, and God himself will vindicate him on the third day. It is God's proof through the resurrection that Jesus Christ is our Savior. It's, it's God's vindication of him. This is Romans chapter 1. This is, as Paul was giving his basic treatise on what does it mean to be saved, this is verse 1 of chapter 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Now he's going to tell you about the gospel of God. What is the gospel? What's the good news? Which had been promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The gospel is no new Johnny-come-lately. The gospel has always been God's way, always plan A. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So first of all, the gospel is concerning Jesus Christ, our Lord, our maker, our master. This is the gospel. It has to do not with your good, so you're going to go to heaven. It's all about Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then it goes on to say, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. So he, he was the son of somebody's son of somebody's son of somebody's son. And the great-grandpa was David the king. That meant that Jesus was the rightful king of Israel because it's the son, 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 son. And, and God said, my, uh, your son will sit on my throne forever. So he was proven to be the seed of David according to the flesh. But look at verse 4. But declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. God proved that Jesus was who he said he was by raising him from the dead. He was okay with people despising him. He was okay with people misunderstanding with him. He was okay with having enemies seeming to win because God simply, as he died, it was part of God's plan all, all along that not only did Jesus live for his people, he died for his people. He died for us. He didn't just die for us. He lived for us. Had he not lived for us, there would be no, nothing for me to present God with. But he not only lived for me and gave me something to commend me before God, he also died for my punishment that had to be there. Otherwise, God wasn't God. God has to be fair. God has to be just. Justice is the foundation of his own throne. And he does not leave the guilty unpunished. So what happened was that Jesus is not a sinner dying for another sinner. Jesus was a sinless man, but these Pharisees knew nothing about it. The only thing they knew is that he healed a man on the Sabbath day, and that's against the rules. 
That's all that they know. Well, he, he's about to completely throw the, the rug out from under their feet. They have no idea what's coming. He is going to say way more than I, than I healed on the Sabbath, and I'm glad I did it. Okay? He's going to tell them who he really is, and it's breathtaking. Now, there are some scholars that actually believe that this was the Sanhedrin who was interviewing him because he was in, he, to, Jesus was doing fantastic miracles all over the place in the name of the Lord and healing on the Sabbath day. And that's what the Sanhedrin would have been responsible for. That is what they did. They were, they were the religious court of the land. And here's Jesus in Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, when you look at his words, in the, starting in verse 17, they're as formal as a, as a courtroom. He's, talk, he's laying it out. He's giving one piece of evidence and another and another and another. This is not just a, a random discussion that he's having. And when it said the religious leaders, well, what does that mean? He's in the capital city. The religious leaders are the religious leaders, the real leaders. Now, it does not say in this passage that he's, he's before the Sanhedrin. He does go before the Sanhedrin at his final trial. He does do that. But here you're going to see it very, he's going to formally defend his divine sonship. He's claiming to be the son of God. All right, which in no way can be not considered blasphemy. It has to be considered blasphemy. So you have to realize just how radical Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ was the most conservative person because he knows that what God said is the only way. It's not that you can kind of do it loosey-goosey. What God said is the only way it works. So in, in that way, he's only conservative. But in terms of, of how he, he interacted with society, he, every single thing was flipped on its head. Uh, he, he was radical, and this was serious. He affirms his authority. He does not claim that he wasn't healing on the Sabbath. Because if you go to Aaron's definition, what was Jesus' job? Jesus was going around as a rabbi, an itinerant rabbi, who was a miracle worker. That was what he was doing. He was doing it day after day after day, and this was on the Sabbath day. And so if the religious police come and say, you just healed on the Sabbath, well, Jesus has to roll his eyes and say, well, whose law is that? Now, they think it's God's law. But Jesus is calling them to their, to their legalism, calling them to their problems that, that, no, this wasn't God's law. God didn't insist that. Jesus knew the Bible inside and out. He wrote it. He knew exactly what God meant, and he knew what the Word said. And he was, he was willing to basically point not only to his authority, but also to his divine nature. He was claiming to be God. So do you understand why John put it here? We've now heard from Jesus himself. We're not just looking at sideways. We're not just looking at events and extrapolating from them, oh, oh this kind of suggests that Jesus is God. No, Jesus is claiming to be God himself today, right? So, so let's look at it. He is not claiming that he wasn't working on the Sabbath. He was claiming to work on the Sabbath, but have every right to work on the Sabbath. He had continuous work. Um, do you know what blasphemy is? Blasphemy is complete disrespect about God, like, like a flagrant in your face. The word profane 
is really blasphemy. To be profane means to stand in front of God and thumb your nose at God. That's what profane. The idea of, oh yeah, going to make me? What are you going to do? You and what army? That is the idea of being profane, being blasphemous. All right? Look at Mark 14. This is when Jesus is in front of the Sanhedrin, uh, either for the first time, because it, it's not mentioned here, or the second time, if he was talking to these religious leaders today. This is Mark 14, verse 61. But he held his peace and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him and said, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus said, I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of the heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes and saith, What need do we have of further witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be guilty of death. Jesus was condemned as a blasphemer. That's what he was condemned for. He was put to death because he was insulting God. Because he was making himself equal to, with God. This is what it's going to say in this, chat, in this uh, verse, in the next verse. He, he, not only did, was he healing on the Sabbath that made them want to kill him, they were already wanting to kill him. That's interesting. To kill someone, that's pretty powerful. Not only did they want to kill him for working on the Sabbath, but he made himself equal with God. Now, when we read today Philippians, who being in very nature God thought it not uh, robbery to be equal with God, Jesus knew who he was. It was not robbery for him to claim to be, but instead of acting like God, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. When, when we read Zechariah today, God Almighty just, just said, I will, I will strike the shepherd and scatter the sheep. But he said something interesting about the shepherd. I will strike the shepherd, mine own fellow. God himself said, mine own fellow, someone on my par, someone equal to me, someone like me. Well, there's 50 places in the Old Testament where God is peerless, matchless. There's no one like God. There is no other God, God said. I know of no other gods but me. You might call them gods, but they're demons. But he is saying, my own fellow, and I'm going to strike the shepherd, and the sheep are going to scatter. And where did you receive those wounds? I received them in the house of my friends. Jesus went to the house of his friends and received wounds on his hands and feet. Where did you receive those wounds? And God said, my own fellow, the one that's like me, I'm going to strike him, and the sheep are going to be scattered. See, God knows that Jesus is God, and Jesus knows that he is God. And now Jesus is going to tell them, and they're not expecting any of this. He's absolutely, they're just not expecting it. So let's look on. He was elaborating his relationship with the Father. Okay? So let's look at verse 17. Jesus answered them, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought to kill him more, because not only had he broken the Sabbath, but said that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. Well, that's what he was doing. My Father's working, and I work. Now, from the beginning he was working. Jesus is claiming that God took a Sabbath from creation, but never ever did he take a Sabbath from redemption. That Jesus 
Jesus is claiming that God is the God of Isaiah that says he neither, or uh, Psalm 121, that he's a God that never slumbers or sleeps. He's always working. He's always working. He's working in this world. He didn't simply create this world and then go away and watch it, like spinning a top and watching it spin, or creating a watch and listening to it tick. The God is in charge of this place, and he is working actively and has every moment of all of eternity. He's making it happen. And Jesus said, my father is continuously working, and I'm continuously working. I'm like him. I am like him because we are the same. He made himself equal with God. And this is where, this is where that the cross ended up in Jesus' life. Because he made himself equal with God and they could not handle that. So let's continue. Let's go to 19. Then answered Jesus and said, Verily, verily, I say to you. We've, said that, we've seen this before, this truly, truly. Uh, by the way, verily, verily is amen. It's the word amen. Every one of you know it. It's amen, amen. Normally you would say amen at the end of a prayer, like so be it. It's true. It's final. It's, it's, it's solid. It's, it's more solid than the earth. Amen, amen. Jesus says it before he even speaks. Amen, amen. Let me tell you what the amen was for. Because it's so final. It's so lasting. It's so permanent that what I'm going to tell you will outlast the world. These words will outlast eternity. The son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father doing, for what soever he doth, these uh, also doeth the son likewise. Look at the logic there. If, my, if what I'm doing is outside of God's will, then you're right. I'm a blasphemer. If what I'm doing is outside of God's will, if God has a will for this world and I'm not in perfect alignment with this will, then you're absolutely right. I'm guilty as a blasphemer. But if I'm in perfect, perfect unity with God's will, laid up exactly the same as God's will, then I'm not a blasphemer because God's will is being done. So if he were not Jesus Christ, the son of God, then he would be a blasphemer. But because he is the son of God, he must tell us. He has to tell us. And that is going to get him to the cross. That's why he went to the cross. So whatever that he sees the father doing, that is what Jesus does. Now, Jesus is God. I've said that 400 times. Jesus is God. But Jesus as the son of God is subservient in role to God the father. He always puts himself lower. Now, God will always exalt Jesus, but Jesus always is subservient. He doesn't, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. This is Jesus Christ, always aligning himself. Do you remember we called that word righteous? If you are righteous, if your angles are lined up perfectly with the angle of something you're, you're measuring it against. Okay, so if you have a wall that's perfectly plumb and level and, and straight, and you're perfectly plumb and level and straight, you are righteous to that to that mark. That's what, that's what it is. It's exactly, if the ruler mark is exactly straight and the same length, then that ruler mark is righteous. Okay, and the word righteous and straight in most languages are the same word. The, to, the word for straight and the word for righteous, because it's the idea of a mark made from a ruler is righteous. Well, Jesus is saying I'm righteous. And because I'm righteous, I am not 
blasphemy. I'm not blaspheming because I'm doing exactly what God would do. So if you will look at 1920, 21, 22, beautifully written book, each one of these verses, and good positions of verses, is one reason. Remember I said it's like a courtroom. Here's the first reason, here's the second reason, here's the third, here's the fourth. Every one of them start with the word for, so you can find them easily on the scripture. Okay? So let's look first at 19. Then answered Jesus and said, Verily, verily, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father, for what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. He's not independent. He's not on its own. God, you can do anything, but if you, if you can remove this cup if it be your will. Nevertheless, not my will. He's never independent. He's not of himself. He's not making his own way. He's not making it up as he wanted to. When the devil said, turn those, bread, those rocks into, into bread, and the devil quotes scripture as though, here's a reason you could be like the Bible and say, and, and, or jump off of this tower because the angels will catch you. Well, Jesus knew that that'd be true, but he also knew that by doing that, he would not be subservient to God. And he is always under God. So, so the first one is, for whatsoever things he doeth, the Son does likewise. He's watching, he's observing what God is doing, then he's doing it. His actions and his intentions are, are aligning themselves with God's will. Okay? And he perfectly mirrors it. Now, this is the great confidence of us. I, in fact, one of my takeaways is this. Since Jesus perfectly mirrors God, and I've never seen God, but I can look into the person of Jesus through the scriptures, I know what God's like. I know that God is kind because Jesus was kind. I know that, that God is brave because Jesus was brave. I know that God is holy because Jesus is holy. Jesus mirrored he watched the Father perfect all the time, and God revealed to himself. And that, that would be the next one that I said. Uh, look at 20. For the Father loves the Son, and shows him all things that he himself doeth. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. So as God, as God is being watched by Jesus all the time, continuously, God is revealing to Jesus things. Jesus is a person. The Holy Spirit is guiding Jesus continuously, the same as us. Jesus is not living in his deity. The Holy Spirit is guiding him the same as the Holy Spirit guides us. And as he equipped him, as he, as he powered him, he was watching him, and God told him things. He knew things that he shouldn't have known. So, so it says that he shows him all things. So the Father loves the Son. And then it's interesting, that passage finishes, Jesus declares the Father will even show him greater things. You think turning water into wine is great? You think healing this man who's been 38 years in, uh, paralyzed, uh, you think that is wonderful? Um, you will see greater things than this. The Holy Spirit will enable me to do much more because God intends that you may marvel I don't see, do you see the end of that sentence? That you may marvel. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to marvel. Why was Solomon's temple so magnificent? That you might marvel. 
it needed to be gawked at. It needed to be thought about. It can't just be an ordinary. It can't be a strip mall. It needed to be more than magnificent to stop you into your tracks that you might marvel and say, who is this God that we have? Who is he? And Jesus said, the Holy Spirit's going to do way more, and you will see greater works than this, way more than what you've seen, greater works that you may marvel. The third one in verse 21, for as the Father raises the dead and quickeneth them, that's King James for brings them to life, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. Do you see each one of these is more condemning to Jesus than the last one? If Jesus would have just kept his mouth shut, they wouldn't have known what he was really claiming to be. He said, God raises the dead and brings to life whomever he pleases. And the son has that same power. Me, the son of man. By the way, when he calls himself the son, that's from Daniel. And it's a messianic term. The son of man will come back at the end. The son of man is the, is the one that's the little rock that crushes the, the statue of gold and silver and, bro- and iron. And uh, it's the son of man that will grow until he reaches the entire universe. That's what it said in Daniel. It's Jesus Christ exalted by God to be the highest place, given the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus every name shall, shall bow. This is who Jesus is. And he's saying, the Father raises the dead, I will raise the dead. I will give to life whom I please. Now, that's one of the, the marveling works that he hasn't done yet. He's not brought someone back from the dead, but he will. He will do it several times to where people are not like, you're not even safe being dead. Jesus can heal your body or raise your, your, your body or, or he must be able to, to, to raise my soul. So he's claiming to be God. If God himself can raise the dead, Jesus is claiming to be God. That's what he's doing. It's, it's unmistakable. And look at the last one. This is the strongest, most condemning statement that he says. Verse 22. For the Father judges no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. I am the judge, Pharisees. I am your judge. You are judging me. I am judging you, and I am the last man standing. There is a situation where who but God could judge. And he's saying, I'm not like God. Do you see all the other three where I'm like God? God's working, I'm working. And we're like each other in that way. God, uh, God shows me all things, and I do the things that I see. That's the same. Or God uh, gives life to whom he pleases, I give life to whom I please. But look at four. God the Father judges nobody. I judge all. I will be given full authority. I am potent, completely unipotent. Nobody except me will be the universal judge. And this goes way beyond the Jews. When he says all judgment, that means it's not just I'm judging your law and I decide when something is, is breaking the commandment or not breaking the commandment. He's not saying, I'm a better religious policeman than you are. What he's saying is, all judgment is mine. I will judge the heathen. I will judge the nations. I will judge the individuals. I'll judge the households. Every person will, be, will stand before me and give an account of what they've done in the body. Now, it's interesting that... He then talks about himself. He is 
crescendoing, and he's talking about himself. All honor must be paid to me. And they knew he's talking that he's the son. And he knows that when he says the father, that it's God he's speaking to, the God who made the commandments. This is verse 23, that all men should honor the son, even as they honor the father, that there's honor due to the son, the same, that he honoreth not the son, does not honor the father that's in him. So if you do not honor the son, but think you're honoring God, you're actually deceiving yourself. There is no honor unless you're honoring the son. Psalm 2, kiss the son, lest he be angry. O you judges of the earth, kiss the son, because it's the son who must have all honor. He is putting himself as the closest relationship and also what he has in terms of his own authority. So he said, yeah, I was working on the Sabbath. Guilty. Except that I was doing no wrong because... By, do, by doing mercy on the Sabbath, that's what God has always done, is by showing you mercy. Otherwise, he would haul you off to, to prison, eternal prison, every Sabbath day for breaking it in the most egregious way. And Jesus said, I and the Father are one. We're going to see that. It's in John as well. And so when Jesus is crucified, he's crucified as a blasphemer. And when he's raised, he's vindicated that what he said was actually true, and God did it. Look at 24, one of the most comforting passages in the Bible. Verily again, verily, verily I say to you, he that heareth my word, he's now speaking of himself, not speaking about the Father and him, but speaking of him only. He that heareth my word and believes on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. Interesting that you have faith in God through Jesus Christ. You have faith in God through Jesus Christ. Our faith is in God. So those who hear my word and believes upon him who sent me, it will not enter into condemnation. There, is, there are no more riveting words. That, those words are solid. Those words will last when this world wilts like wet toilet paper. And I said toilet paper in the sermon on a Sunday morning. We have freedom from judgment. And we have transition from death to life. And Jesus is on the way to the cross already. They already know it's going to happen. Let's pray. My God, my God. Who are you? We, we, we want to bow in your presence. And we want to stand absolutely gaping, gaping at who you are, that you would treat us so kindly, that you would, would come and get us, even at the cost of, of death on the cross. We highly exalt you, Jesus Christ. And right now we bow our knee before you. You are our king. You are the king of this world and the universe, and you will be the judge of us and all. And the idea that because we have believed your, uh, heard your words and believed those, the one who sent you, we have no condemnation. We know that we deserve condemnation, but we are so thankful. Let our thanksgiving change our lives. Let it purify our hearts. Let us do something great in this world that men may marvel and see what you are doing and see that it's you 
that, uh, that is the, the cause of all mercy in this world. Give us great grace, we pray. Uh, as we sing and as we go together, we thank you for, um, for the fathers that, uh, that you put in our lives and ask that uh, we would be people that would, would also be used in others. And we love you in Jesus' name.